In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into the ages of all ages, Amen. We got talking last week um, about how challenges come up in life, and sometimes you feel like you're looking up at a mountain, and you don't really, um, you know, you know, it almost, we almost need a moment to step back and ask ourselves, how do I feel about this? What's going on through my heart and my mind? Otherwise, we tend to, to, to act out of those emotions and to, to act out of emotions that we have not even yet identified or recognized. And so we were saying maybe the first thing we should do when we're daunted by some massive uh, obstacle in our way like Mount Everest is to just stop and ask ourselves how does this make us feel and then we talked about having a plan um, and that that plan would probably need some kind of roadmap a compass in the event that you lose your you lose your way um, you still have some way of knowing that you're going in the general direction you're, 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 you're aiming for and then the power the energy the motivation to do it um, then I, I pr presented this slide last week with this animal and I said, you, you know, you got to name the animal, you got to name the challenge because sometimes I just feel daunted, but I don't know really by what. Um, and uh, I, I didn't know what this was, but somebody in the audience, you know, uh, was better at trivia than I was. This is a, a pangolin. And then we spent some time discussing this, this verse that no temptation has over overtaken you except such as is common to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God provides exits um, and we've got to look for those exits. Then, then we, um, we kind of finished up by talking a little bit about David and Goliath. And when you're sort of facing this, this giant, this massive obstacle that um, to a great degree, to a great degree, the, the energy to do something about it comes from not looking at the giant, but looking above the giant, not looking to the mountain that you, you, you think you could never cross, but looking higher than the mountain and looking, looking up to God Almighty and receiving strength from him. Then we talked a, um, a little bit about scripture. We mentioned all of these script things, scripture as a roadmap and the Holy Spirit and the communion of the Holy Spirit, the life and, um, with the Holy Spirit as as your compass, um, uh, and finally, uh, um, the, Jesus says the wind of the Spirit blows where it wishes, um, and, but we don't know where it comes from and where it goes. And in a certain sense, as the Spirit is blowing, as the Spirit is is blowing through our lives, as this fresh spring breeze is blowing through our lives. God is calling you and he's calling me to participate with that, with, with him and throw up our sails right at the right moment that we could catch the spirit of God with us and he could carry us in the right direction. Jim Rohn, um, uh, who was a 20th century motivational speaker, he was the life mentor of people like Tony Robbins, um, very closely related to uh, Dale Carnegie and, and these other people says the same wind blows on us all the winds of disaster of opportunity and change therefore it is not the blowing of the wind but the setting of the sails that will determine the direction of life things happen to people things will happen to me and things will happen to you right but it's not about things happening or not happening it's about how we deal with them and if they if they do they serve as a pit in which i fall and then i 
and, and I lose myself there for years or do they serve as a launching pad to take me to a different place? Today, I want to get really, really specific. I kind of gave you a very quick uh, summary of last week. I want to get really, really specific and start with conflict at home. Um, I'm going to frame this in terms of marital conflict, but what I realized, I learned what I'm going to share with you in the context of marital conflict. But um, what I learned is that uh, you might be sitting there saying, well, I'm not married. Well, whatever. Yes. What I learned is that this actually works for any interpersonal conflict. I started using this at work while I was still working prior to priesthood. I started using this with my neighbors, you know, who are like, you know, you leave your garbage bins out for too long and all of, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Those kinds of things. Right. And I realized I realized this works for this works in any time I allow myself to get into a fight with somebody, right? Now, when you're, when you're engaging in interpersonal conflict, there's sort of five different models of how to get oneself out. And we all kind of lean, naturally have a leaning towards one of those different kinds of models. There's, there's one of those is the peace at any price. Right. This is the person who says, OK, 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 like and they're willing to have to make peace with you at any cost. They may they may deny themselves their rights or they may, may go something against uh, against what they would usually do. Right. Um, or uh, and, and a very different, various different things. That's that's kind of that's one one model. The opposite model of this is the win at all costs. Right. That's the person who's going to who's going to keep arguing with you until you bow out, until you agree, until. But there's only one way this conversation is going to end. And it's with you saying that I'm right. Right. So that's kind of the polar, the, the polar opposite. Then there's the yielders. The yielders are people who will will try to get their way. They'll try once or twice and then they and then they kind of give in. Right. So they state their cause. They state their they state where they're at with things. But then but then they quickly kind of let out. Then there's the compromisers. Those are the accountants in the room. Right. So those people say, you know what? OK, this time doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong. This time we'll do it your way. But next time we're going to do it my way. And I'm keeping score. Right. And there's a little score sheet where we keep track of, you know, you won, me won, you won, me won, right? And I'll tell you something. I hate compromise. I love accountants. I hate, <laughs> I hate compromise. You know why? Because the definition of compromise is where two parties or multiple parties are equally satisfied, but also equally dissatisfied. That means that you can't be any happier than I am in this arrangement, right? We have to, you know, our, our, our satisfaction level has to be equal. I think that's kind of sad. I would wish the greatest satisfaction for you and for me. And I believe there must be some way to achieve that. And the fifth method is resolving. Resolving is where you identify what are the principles, what are the, des the, the principles of the desires of the person who's coming to you and, what are, and what's moving you in the direction that's moving you there. And it's looking for an option C or an option D or an option E, looking for a different option, which will necessarily be different from option A or option B and trying to creatively come up with a different solution. Now, all of us have some 
capability of creativity, some more than others. I'm not a terribly creative person, but even with my limited creativity, I'm able to come up with some pretty creative solutions sometimes in the right circumstances. So there are various circumstances that rob us of our creativity. In general, in conflict, those are when we get into sort of like an ad when we get that adrenaline rush, you know, when you start to get into a fight with somebody and you feel your heart pounding a little faster, you, you start to sweat a little bit, your voice gets a little jittery, and you're either excited to like pummel this person with your words or you're terrified and want to get up and run. But the physiological response that happens to us to that adrenaline rush is identical. The anxiety or the excitement of the fight. In any event, that adrenaline rush does not promote creativity. And the, the, the solution in, in resolving is, issues in conflict is going to be intimately associated with the ability to be creative. So we need to do, we need to do something with our anger. What is anger? Anger is this strong displeasure. It can be good or it can be bad. Jesus got angry, right? But I'm going to really discourage you, and I'm not going to go into a very uh, um, deep conversation of it, to use this term of like righteous anger, like Jesus had righteous anger, so I can have righteous anger. Righteous anger is very different from unrighteous anger. You know, I'm not going to go into a, a big explanation of it right now, because we will later in the fall, right? But, uh, you know, the anger I kind of have is usually personal. I'm rarely angry about things that are not intimately associated with me. If it's intimately associated with me, then it's probably rooted in myself. And when it's rooted in myself, then it's, uh, it's not going to be righteous anger. Okay, um, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna end my comments on that right like right there, and I'm gonna encourage us to address our anger as something that we need to manage. And everybody gets angry. I've heard some people tell me I don't get angry, and as I work through situations with them, I realize that they get angry. They just didn't know that that was called anger. But it's just this this strong feeling, this almost as a reflex, and it's usually towards and a sense of entitlement, something I feel entitled to that is, has been taken away from me or is at risk of being taken, taken away from me, right? And the, the solution begins with realizing that the problem is not the other person. The problem is the difference that we have. That's what we, that's what we want to address. And... Um, it's, 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 it's a very fine difference, but it makes all the difference. Um, uh, every now and again, I use Siri to dictate notes to myself or stuff like that. And if you put the accent on the, right, on the wrong vowel, you see in my contacts, I have Mary's, I have Marais, I have, I have other Marais, I have all kinds of different people. I have Marie's, right? And so I have Marie's and I have Marie, right? And so it's all about, I've learned what I, how I have to say it to Siri and where I have to put the accent and where I have to put the emphasis to get Siri to understand what I'm trying to say. In conflict, it's very much the same. The emphasis is not on the fact that we aren't agreeing, the emphasis is on what are we gonna do about it? Not what are you gonna do about it? Not are how you gonna fix this problem you created for me, but we're, we're in this together, 
right? So how are we get going, going to figure this out? And something else that I've learned over time is that, is that we, we're all different in various different ways. But if we can learn to see our differences as strengths, this I found I was better at at work than I was at home. Right? If we, can, if we can learn to see our differences as strengths, some people are more task-oriented, other people are more relationship-oriented, some people are very good at speaking, some people are better at sort of like processing things, some people are very creative, some people are just doers, they just bang out tasks. We're all very different, and when you put people who are very different in a closed space together, sometimes you get fireworks. But the other thing that you could get is ingenuity. The other thing that you could get is, a, is leaps forward. So if I can recognize that some of the conflict we're having is because we're different people and we approach these things differently. And what are the strengths in the way that you approach this? And what are the strengths in the way that I approach this? If we can agree on those things on a ble clear blue sky day, not on a day where we're not in the middle of a conflict, but on a different day when things are going good, and we can recognize that you're really good at this and this kind of thing, and I'm really good at that and that kind of thing. So maybe I should take the leadership in the things I'm good at, and maybe you should take the leadership in the things you're good at, and maybe we should all have a little bit of humility to accept that the other person is better than me in certain things, right? And that way we can work, we can work together. Another issue with dealing with conflict is the timing. So I had a, a, a friend that I worked with uh, my last year working at the hospital, really funny guy. Um, he's really, really tall Norwegian fellow, Shetel. So Shetel, right, he, him and his wife, they, they, had, they had a rule, right? It was called the pillow rule. If anybody was within arm's reach of a pillow and they grabbed it, you, they couldn't start a serious conversation, right? And the idea was, is deal, deal with the hardest conversations when you're at your best. So, you know, to transfer that same concept to the business world, I remember my, my grandfather was a, was a very successful businessman and he would tell me, never, never approach somebody in the business world in the first hour of the day or in the last hour of the day. You know, in the first hour of the day, they're just kind of waking up and they haven't figured out what's up and down yet. And they need that moment for themselves. Let them get their, let them get themselves sorted out, then go talk to them, right? And in the last hour of the day, they're trying to pack up and go home. Don't go to them with some new thing. And all of us who have worked under somebody and they walk into your office as you have one foot out the door and they're telling you, oh, you know, like, could you do this? And you're like, really? Really, at five minutes to five, you're asking me to do something that takes two hours? Are you serious? You know, of course, so you smile and say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, right? And you just do it, but it's, uh, it's infuriating, right? It's kind of the same thing. So it's important to just to choose the timing to deal with conflict when both of us are gonna be at our best. This relates more to marriage than in anything else. In marriage, I'm sorry is just a very humbling way of saying I love you. I've realized that, that I probably say as many I'm sorry's to my wife as I say I love you's, right? And it's just a very simple way. It's just a very simple way of offering, of offering love, of offering humility, of offering submission. Now, I want to share with you what I've discovered to be the silver bullet 
in dealing with conflict. This works, no joke. Okay, I am somebody who really doesn't enjoy exaggeration, so I promise you I'm not exaggerating. This works every single time if you do it right and if you really do it from your heart. I remember reading this as a picture of my in-laws, and I'll, I'll tell you why that's there in a moment. I remember reading this in a, in, a, in a marriage book shortly before we got married, and I had the opportunity to practice it not long after we were married. I remember reading, and, 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 I, and, and this had such a profound impact on my life that I actually thought the whole chapter was about this, but when I went back and read it, it was just like half of a paragraph. The author was saying that all conflict is rooted in either anger or pride. So, uh, by the way, a, a caveat, what I'm going to share with you now, only, it only really works um, if, you're, if you're Christian and if you're, you have like a, an active Christian life. If you don't, like I love you and I respect you, and um, if you need to zone out for a minute, please feel free, don't like, you know, no, with no apology, and I'm sorry that this is... This is very specific to dealing with conflict um, if I have a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. All conflict is probably rooted in either anger or sin. I mean, I'm sure there are various uh, anger or pride, sorry. I'm sure there are various other things that could, in, that could get conflict going. But when you boil it down, it usually comes down to that. And it's usually one person is angry and the other person is proud. Remember, I read this in the context of marriage, so I'm going to present it in that context. But I then later on use this in many other contexts as well. See, and the trouble with anger or pride is that they were a sin against God before they were a sin against anyone else. And the moment that I sin against God, I lose the grace, I lose the power that I, that I had from Him to deal with all of these things that keep coming my way. And so, so the first thing I need to do is, is, is turn the power back on. You know, if, uh, if something's not projecting right and, and, and the screen isn't working and this and that, and then all of a sudden, all the power in the building goes off. It doesn't matter that I'm having some technical wire connection, fiddly wire on the back of the TV. I need to go to the breaker box and figure out why the, why the power went off in the entire building. The moment I, I interrupt the flow of the grace of God, of the power of God in my life, it's like, it's, like, it's like unplugging. So the first thing I need to do is go and plug back in. A beautiful example of this is King David. So King David, you know, has at this point in his, in his sovereignty, in his kingship, has become a very, very powerful ruler. He was still fighting battles and he was still, he was, he, he was still winning wars. And one day, while his men are out at war, he goes up onto the rooftop and he sees this beautiful lady on the rooftop next door, next to the palace, bathing. And he lusts for her. So he asks somebody, who lives next door? And they say, oh, Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba. He says, oh, send for Bathsheba for me. So she comes to the palace. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. Uh-oh, now he's got a problem. So what does he do? He sends word... He sends a letter to the commander of his army and he says, put Uriah the Hittite in the front, you know, in, in the front rows, you know, and go into the fiercest battle and 
in a split second, have everybody except the front row retreat. So the commander is very loyal. He just does what he's told. Um, the commander sends word back to King David. By the way, we were in this battle and we lost. And Uriah the Hittite died. And that was that. Word had gotten to his wife. She mourned. Da-da-da, this and that. Then David sent to go comfort her. And then in the end, he ended up marrying her. Nathan the prophet goes to see King David and he tells him a story. He tells him a story about a very rich man who lived right next door to a poor man. And the poor man had this little goat and he loved the goat. And he took care of the goat and he treated, he didn't have any children, the poor man, so he treated the goat like his own child. He fed it at, its, at his table. She ate at the same table as him. He cuddled with, with the goat at night and he really treated it like his own child. One day the rich man had some guests and he wanted to serve them mutton, goat. So he had his servants go to the neighbor, steal his goat, slaughter it, kill it, and serve it to his guests. David was enraged. He was enraged. He said, where is this man? He must die. Nathan looked at him and he said, you are the man. King David in that moment fell to his knees and prayed a prayer which has been recorded as Psalm 51 in the Bible or Psalm 50. And he looks to God and he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. He sees that the, the graveness of his sin against God is so horrific, is so enormous, is so wicked that yes, I did wrong by Bathsheba. Yes, I certainly did wrong by Uriah the Hittite. Yes, I did wrong by all the other men who died in that battle needlessly. Yes, I did wrong by my entire kingdom by abusing my power. Yes, I widowed and orphaned hundreds of families in, on that day. But my sin, God, against you is the most horrific. And he kneels down before God and he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And when that becomes my approach to my sin, when that becomes my approach to my anger that I have towards my spouse or towards my colleague at work or my pride that I have towards that person, it changes everything. Immediately after we got married, Mary and I, and we were about to walk out of church, Mary's dad, standing in the front row, you know, like at the wedding, family you know they stand at the front row he kind of stepped out into the aisle in front of us and he took me by the shoulders and dr naim is not a very he's not a very emotional person he's a very practical person but he had clearly had tears in his eyes we were getting married we we're going to go on our honeymoon and then we we're we we're going to to our honeymoon and then from england we we're going straight straight back to 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 canada we we weren't that's it like this was Tomorrow morning at breakfast before going to the airport for a honeymoon was the last time he was going to see his daughter until, you know, whatever they come visit, she's moving away. So he takes me, um, takes me by the shoulders and he says to me, I gave you Mary. And I said, yes. He says, please take care of her with tears in his eyes. And I say, I will. And that was that. 
right? And then time passes and Mary and I get into a fight and I'll shout or I'll get angry or I'll whatever. And in, in that moment, in that moment, I'll remember the conversation I had with my father-in-law. I'll remember that he entrusted me with his eldest daughter. He gave her to me. He just trusted me with her. And I might have done wrong by Mary, but I've also done wrong by my father-in-law. Because he told me, take care of her. But that's not what I'm doing right now. Right now, I'm getting angry with her. Right now, I'm, I'm priding myself against her. Right now, I'm finding ways to be right so she could be wrong. Is that, is that what he meant when he said, please take care of her, John? Is that what, is that what he was saying? And in those moments, in that moment, I'll go to my room and I'll close the door. At work, I would close the door of my office and I would literally push my office chair out of the way and kneel in front of my desk. And I would look to God. I'd look to God, my heavenly father, and not my earthly father-in-law, who is a lovely representation of my divine father. But I'd kneel before my divine father and remember that, Lord, you entrusted me with this lovely woman as my wife. You entrusted me with these trainees, these medical students in residence for me to train them. You entrusted me with these congregants. You entrusted me with these servants who serve at church. You entrusted me with this neighbor who lives beside me. You gave me this person for a reason. And what I'm doing right now, Lord, in my heart and in my mind, I really don't think that's the reason that you gave them to me. And before I owe them an apology or not, before we need to resolve the, the index reason why we got into this conflict in the first place or not, before we deal any with any of that, Lord, I need to deal with something else. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. Because I didn't, I didn't honor the trust that you entrusted me with. And when I do that, and when I do that and I offer a sincere repentance before God, and God is very kind. And the first thing he says, well, that's okay. And he takes me and he hugs me and he brings me into his, into his embrace. Then I can go and talk to Mary. Then I can go and talk to my colleagues. Then I can go and talk to my medical students or residents. Then I can go talk to the servants or I can go talk to my neighbor or I can go talk to whatever. Then I can walk up to them with, a, with genuine contrition in my heart, genuine compunction in my heart, a genuine, a genuine, I'm sorry. No explanations, no excuses, just, I'm sorry. I should have done differently with you. I'm sorry. That changes everything. I've never done that once with Mary, and the problem has not been solved. Almost on the spot. The index reason why we got into a conflict still needs to get resolved. But the angst, the anger, the pride, the I'm right and you're wrong and ah, all of that, pshht, out the window. Out the window. The solution, the silver bullet to interpersonal conflict, be it in marriage or anywhere else, is to recognize my sin, 
go and repent before God and ask him for forgiveness. And then, now that I've plugged back into the power of God, take God in hand and go and talk with the person and address the issue. It works every single time, I promise you. It requires, though, that I genuinely see and feel that I have genuinely, I have indeed sinned against God more than I've sinned against my neighbor, more than I've sinned against my wife, more than I've sinned against this other person, right? And if I can recognize that, then you can use this tool and it works like magic. The last thing I want to share with you is that every conflict should end with an act of forgiveness. Look, we're going to get into conflict. We're human beings. We're all different. We're all kind of like bulls in a china shop. We're going we're gonna to rub each other wrong. That's okay. That's okay. I have completely stopped trying to avoid conflict. And when I find myself trying to avoid conflict, I ask myself why. Look, we just got to deal with it. We just got to deal with the fact that we're different and we see the world differently and that's okay. But the fact that we have, there's a difference between you and me. There's a fact that you would like me to do something different than the way I do it. And, and I feel like I can't do what you want for, what, for various whatever reasons. We just got to deal with that. Avoiding it, putting it, setting it aside and all these other things doesn't, doesn't deal with it. Getting angry about it or getting proud against the other person doesn't deal, deal with it. The last thing I want to share with you is every, every conflict, if possible, should end with an act of forgiveness and an act of offering forgiveness. There's this beautiful, beautiful rite in, uh, in the Eastern Orthodox Church on, it's called Forgiveness Sunday. We, we did it once here where every person in the congregation asks for forgiveness and offers forgiveness to every single other person in the congregation. It's really beautiful. It's really empowering. When we did this four or five years ago, I can't remember when, every single person in the congregation had tears in their eyes. To hear a to hear hundred people say to you, God forgives you and I forgive you. Will you forgive me? And to receive back, I forgive you and God forgives you, is so powerful. To the people that you work with, to the people that you're close to, to the people that you're married to, your children, your parents, make it a regular, common thing to offer forgiveness and to ask for forgiveness. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Let